This is Namina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health, addictions, and holistic care community to talk about different issues and treatment modalities. Now, guest opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. With that, today's guest is Lisa Kalko, who is here to talk with us about DBT, or Dialectic Behavioral Therapy, and a skill called Interpersonal Effectiveness. DBT is a type of therapy used to treat various disorders, such as depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. So let's welcome Lisa to talk with us and see how we can use interpersonal effectiveness in our lives. Welcome back, Lisa. It is lovely to see you again. Always happy to be here. And we're going to talk about DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy, but one of the elements, which is that interpersonal effectiveness. And I know that DBT initially was used to treat borderline, but it can treat so much more. And we had talked off camera about using sexual currency. And I thought we could just jump right in because I know that's something that not just those with borderline, but many of us struggle with. So can we start there? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we were kind of chatting about is just the idea of sexual currency or sexual capital. And I think it's important to kind of define that uh, because I know the term sexual currency is lesser known, but sexual capital is kind of the idea that social power or that there is power with an individual or group that can result from a certain level of sexual attractiveness or social charm. And how I see that being used almost as a currency is when people use that to try and engage their interpersonal relationships. One of the reasons it's commonly found amongst those with borderline is because, you know, the sexual proclivities or the sexual provocativeness is something that is oftentimes associated with those who struggle with borderline personality. In fact, it's one of the the bigger diagnostic criteria we'd look at. And what is really fascinating is it's often found amongst women. So we see a higher, maybe disproportionate rate of women being diagnosed with borderline personality than men. They tend to oftentimes fall within the personality spectra of like more narcissistic personality disorders or other antisocial personality disorders or cluster B, um, even though they may have that same sexual desire or use sexual currency in the same way which to me is super fascinating because it tells me, you know, just socially how that is constructed. We kind of, we will pathologize women a certain way for using sexual currency. And yet with men, it's it's just viewed very differently or it's not seen in the same way. I think that's partly because of just how we attribute it and see it as being totally normal for men to be hypersexual. And it's not okay for women to be like that. But when we look at that capital, ultimately what we're seeing is that human beings are using the skill sets they have to try and have their needs met, which is where, you know, DBT comes in, in that interpersonal piece of how are we having our needs met? What are the tools that we're using? How are we self-protecting in ways and organizing ourselves to self-protect? Okay. Now let's back up a little bit and just talk about the interpersonal effectiveness because you alluded to it with some of these tools, but maybe you can expand upon that. Yeah. So, I mean, what I found, I mean, especially I'm a data miner. I love looking at the research. I love seeing what the studies say. I love studying people. And what I found is that oftentimes, you know, human beings will relate or try and connect with each other in more of a um, a dance of intimacy, you know, and, and Sue Johnson's work, Hold Me Tight, refers to that, you know, this dance of intimacy that we do. But we see that oftentimes human beings connect over stories, over shares, over things, you know, and this kind of um, euphoria that happens in those points of connection. So when we're looking at that, oftentimes, you know, those who are struggling 
with more borderline features or more personality disorders, they will come in really hot. You know, they'll use this like, you know, sexual energy or these kinds of ways of like, see me, look at all the great things that I've done. And that can thwart the interpersonal relationship. It can really take away. It's like, you know, when you're in a room and somebody's coming on super hot, you're like, whoa, okay. There's a lot of energy there. So DBT recognized that, you know, in the dialectical part of DBT, which is kind of what shifted it out of the other behavioral frameworks, the dialectical part of DBT was really recognizing those opposites, how, you know, you've got somebody who may be more of a calm, quiet energy, and then you have somebody who's got like this really fierce, intense energy, and how they tend to work in opposite Um, And, you know, kind of thinking about that, even in terms of emotions, it's like our emotions will go from being super big to then being, okay, I've just got to go the exact opposite and be completely flat and and neutral. Um, Although neutral is not really flat. Um, But looking at that, you know, DBT, like I said, the, the dialectical part was really about recognizing that people want to be connected. And that's where in our developmental windows, we will learn interpersonal skills that are socially acceptable. We'll learn interpersonal skills that are validated by our family systems or by our safety nets, by our peer groups, by people around us being like, yes, this is totally an acceptable way of interacting and being. But what we know is that the dialectical part of DBT recognizes change is transactional and it's constant. So how somebody responds to our energy will determine is this a safe behavior or an unsafe behavior? And those who haven't learned healthy boundaries, even around their sexual orientation or their sexual interests or their sexual curiosities, they may learn unhealthy behaviors. And that transactional piece will become part of how they're interacting and seeing themselves in the world. So when we're looking at, for example, borderline personality being really linked to those who have uh, sexual trauma and or a lot of adverse childhood experiences and particularly sexual trauma in early developmental windows. It's thwarted that survival map. It's thwarted that kind of coding that can happen that says, this is a good way to be. And so what they've learned is, this is just how I have to be. This is how I have my needs met. Interpersonally, they're showing up in these transactional ways, trying to have their needs met using an element, i.e. sexual currency, to have those needs met. And then they're trying to be connected to other humans in this very transactional way, using the piece that they know has worked in the past, i.e. if I'm flirtatious, if I'm cute, if I look just right, if I hold myself just so. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Right? From a girl who had to learn, that's not the way to have true connectedness with others. That, that, no. And it's so hard. So what are some tangible things that that we can do then? You know, so part of it, I mean, first, I just want to acknowledge it's like for anybody who's watching this video, they're already doing something tangible to try and participate in the change. Because first, we want to normalize it's not your fault. It doesn't make you a bad person. You know, we don't want to say that being sexual is inherently wrong. And I think that's one of the biggest stigmas when it comes to having a diagnosis like borderline personality disorder or personality disorders, even narcissistic personality disorder, is that we oftentimes pathologize that as being like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. You're too sexual. You're sexual. All human beings are sexual. And so we want to create room for that both and perspective. And that's a really important part of DBT is creating room for both and. How do we be sexual, have our needs met, and 
in the interpersonal way that's not just using it as a currency to say, hey, Joanne, how about, you know, we go and if I just talk to you with my really low sexy voice, you want to do this video with me, right? Probably not because it feels a bit creepy. (laughs) Yet, you know, if we start to just recognize those social cues, those social cues that tell us, hey, you know, something's not right. In order to kind of do that, we need to first utilize the first principle of like figuring out what do we need? What need are we trying to have met? And in that DBT realm, one of the first things we'd notice is human beings, they want to attach. And that's not even just DBT. I think all attachment research, all somatic-based research, you know, somatic experiencing, even CBT, for example, uh, EMDR, trauma-informed modalities, all recognize human beings want to attach. We don't necessarily go into it being like, hey, I'm going to be totally sexual and this is how I'm going to attach. But rather, it's the what are the ways in which I can have my needs met? So first, we need to start to look at what are those needs? What is the need I I have right now? Needs are oftentimes precipitated by our emotional drivers. They kind of happen in like this simultaneous process of like, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. My body cues the response that then sends the signal to my brain to be like, maybe you should go eat, Lisa. And, you know, in our recovery spaces, we have that acronym HALT. It's like, are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? You know, sometimes it's a combination of any one of thereof. But it's first checking in what is the need? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am am I lonely? Am I tired? You know, so checking in what do I actually need? Then we want to kind of start to define our goals. What is what is it I, you know, want to achieve? How is it I'm actually going to have my needs met? And what are the steps tangibly I can take to do that? And oftentimes we look at that even with goal setting. I will say, you know, human beings can do hard things when they know it has a purpose. Nobody's going to get up every day and slog through if it's like, well, what is the point of, you know, this, this slog? It's a very existentialist part, you know, gestalt work, for example, we'll look at that. It's like that meaning-centered engagement, you know, why am I doing this hard work? Why am I behaving the way I am? Well, we can start to understand that when we can define our values, we can understand why we're going to be setting these goals, then we have an aim. We have a way we want to go. In our kind of stamp model, we look at that. We're like, what is our aim? Where do we want to go? How do we want to get there? So figuring out those goals is a really important part. Then when we're looking at those goals, we're going to have obstacles that are going to come up along the way. We want to check our facts and be like, okay, you know, is this in alignment with what I need? Is this person actually rejecting me? Is this because maybe I am coming in too hot? Is this a me thing? Is this a them thing? How do I know what it is? that I'm navigating. So we want to be able to just kind of use that wise mind to help us orient. That's going to help us regulate because we can actually start to attune to our emotions. So figuring out what are those emotions? Is my stomach really upset? Is it grumbling because I'm hungry? Or is it grumbling because, hey, maybe I just had a significant loss. And what I'm recognizing is, in fact, I'm really lonely. And maybe that's taking away my appetite. Or maybe that's kind of impacting me. And my immediate response might be, well, that's fine. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to find another person who's going to find me as super fabulous. Maybe that's not what I should do because that need is there to say, hey, I want to attach. I want to be connected. I want to be loved. I want to be valued. I want to experience that. But maybe I'm going about it the wrong ways, in which case I'm always going to fall into that pitfall of finding people who aren't going to actually give me what I need. They're going to give me what I want, which is the short-term superficial attention or engagement. You know, so when we start to think about that, 
DBT has a few and DBT loves acronyms. And I love that about DBT. It's like, just simplify it, break it down, you know, doing it in the most easy way, but they have, you know, first that dear man strategy that can just help us get out of our heads and actually identify what we want. So in identifying what we want, we use dear man to say, you know, we have to describe it. We have to express it. We have to assert it. We have to reinforce it. We have to stay mindful. You know, so just really having that non-judgmental space, we have to appear confident and then we negotiate. So it's about kind of going into this relationship and saying, okay, this is what I need. I'm going to describe what I need. I'm going to tell you what it is. And, you know, in our space, we use this radical transparency of like, I'm just going to rip the bandit off. I'm going to tell you what I need. I'm going to trust that you are big enough to hold it and that you're going to be able to do what you need with that information. Because, you know, one of the things we know with borderline, for example, is we spend a lot of time walking on eggshells and trying to tiptoe around things because we don't want to, you know, set off those big emotions. But our humans are strong and they can handle those big emotions when we can do so, when we can express it in a really thoughtful, honest way. And I think that's the part when we're dancing around those emotions, that intuitive energy will sense that, you know, maybe somebody's not being fully honest with me. 80% of our communication is nonverbal. So you can imagine when we're dancing around these emotions and our our energy is like, yeah, I'm not really sure that person's being honest with me or I'm not really sure about what's happening. That can really shift that dynamic. So being honest with ourselves. And when we assert that in an honest way, it gives the other person permission to say, what do I want to do with this? That's where we just, we want to be reinforcing. This is my need. This is what I want. This is what I'm doing. Because when we're waffling, then it kind of leaves other people the question, hmm, is this really what you need? Is it really what you want? You know, this is that check the facts thing. It's like, and sometimes we'll see like, yes, no, this is exactly what I want. Is it coming from that wise mind or is it coming from that emotional place? So, you know, in recovery, for example, we can have like those immediate impulses where we're like, okay, if you still want the same thing in 24 hours, in 72 hours, in a week's time, once those emotions have diffused, then that gives us more access to that that wise mind. And if we're still reinforcing the same thing, then we can have more confidence. That's what we want. That's also where we want to stay mindful. We're not judging it. It's not that other people are good people or other people are bad people or that I'm a good person or that I'm a bad person. It's just like, let's just observe what's happening around us. As I said, you know, that confidence is a big thing. And then lastly, being prepared to negotiate the outcomes because this interpersonal effectiveness is often about negotiation skills. It's not all me. It's not all you. It's us, even though I feel like I've been doing all the talking right now. So I'm going to turn it over to the us. (laughs) Now, this one really hits home for me that I, because I've gone through this process and I, back in my early twenties would have been, I never had an official diagnosis, but diagnosed as borderline alcoholic though as well. And then to come through, do all the work and have these healthy, connected, meaningful relationships where I can use not sexual currency, but sexual capital with my husband, but in a loving, sexy way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then actually state, here's what I need and here's what, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's such a beautiful part because sexual currency, sexual capital is not something that I want to say is inherently a bad thing. That's again, we go back to that mindfulness principle of it's not good, it's not bad. We just acknowledge it, acknowledge it as it is, which is, a part of the human process that we will use 
all of our efforts and or energies to achieve or to attract the things that we want. And sometimes sexuality can be one of those pieces. I have a need. I want to be deeply connected. Or maybe I have a need. I really want to have an orgasm. Neither one is good or bad. You know, having an orgasm is a beautiful piece. In the same way, having intimate emotional connection is a beautiful piece. It's just about defining and describing what it is we want to use and then engaging with our partners, with our people. And one of the things I will oftentimes say is, you know, are we listening to respond or are we listening to react? Mm, yes. Yeah. Those can be very different things, right? It's like, if we're listening to respond, we're like, we have more of an open heart and a curiosity to be prepared to negotiate. When we're listening to react, it's like, no, this is what I need. This is what I want. I'm going to just keep doing the thing. And we're like a dog with a bone. No, no, no. It's like, I want this orgasm. But what if the other person is not capable of achieving that? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know what? As we've gotten older, because we're both in our 50s and we've slowed down quite a bit, then we're really appreciating now that emotional intimacy that we have. Like sometimes I, I'm a little, little late for work because we've had that morning coffee and we're talking and we're deeply connected. And, and that's, to me, sometimes more intimate than the, than the sex. Yeah. And, you know, that's the part I love about working with sexual capital amongst couples and not even just amongst couples. It can be open relationships. It can be any sort of combination of, you know, humans coming into a room because we all have it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's how do we use it? And that's the part of the interpersonal effectiveness that I love of DBT is like that. How are we using these skills to achieve what our needs are or our best outcomes. And so when we're looking at that, like you said, like slowing down, having that cup of coffee, holding that deeper intimate emotional gauge or gaze rather, really having those, those conversations around our intimacy, using that radical transparency to say, hey, you know, I'm feeling a certain way and I just want to express that to you. And I was, you know, chatting with another friend of mine recently and, you know, that idea of like, we get stuck in our heads. We all get stuck in our heads. We all have this meta dialogue going on and it's like, well, what's happening? And it's like, sometimes we're there, we're going through supermarket lists and we're like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, do the thing. And are we done yet? What would it look like if we slowed it down and we just said, hey, I'm not really in the moment right now, but if you need this, I can be here for you. I'm gonna let go of the judgment around what I'm doing and be honest. Again, that radical transparency in a moment and just say, hey, this is what's happening. Is this okay for you? Yeah, it's totally okay for me. I just, you know, really enjoyed this cuddle with you. Okay, then we're good. And other times it's like, no, I really need this. I, you know, I just could really use a hug. Could you give that to me right now? I absolutely can. Thank you for asserting your needs. You know, it allows us permission to say, it's okay, I have a need. And I'm inviting the other person to choose whether or not they can meet it. And they're going to be honest with me about whether or not it's fair, appropriate, and necessary or something they can offer we have a code word in our house and that I feel needy (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's like okay baby come here and other times it's like can 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 you be needy in an hour (laughs) right well and I think that you know what you're describing Joanne speaks to another one of the like the DPT strategies which is you know when we have the dear man it's like dear man give and to be in a relationship with another human we have to be prepared to give in, in also receiving. And so that giving part is just about being gentle. You know, it's acting interested, you know, like, so as you said, like, sometimes it's like, 
we have to sit, we have to have that coffee in the morning, we have to connect, we have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, and be interested in what the other person is actually offering. Sometimes it's not all about us. It's about being there for our intimate partners or our our partners, our family, our people. They don't even have to be intimate. They can just be the people around us who are part of our chosen circle. We have to validate, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe my partner needs me to just sit and have coffee with them this morning and I might be late and I'm just going to trust that I can do that or I'll share that with my you know, work colleagues or whoever and then use an easy manner. So that kind of last part is just you know, trying to be kind to ourselves, trying to be like, you know what? Maybe I can't do this today. I'm going to use an easy manner to explain that. Maybe I can do this today. I'm going to just, you know, try and be mindful and kind to myself as I do that. Any other tidbits that you want to share with us and resources? I want to ask you about resources. Yeah. So, I mean, the DBT manual is, I keep referring to that. And I swear to you, this is not an unsolicited plug for Marshall Linehan's work, which is amazing. (laughs) But I think, you know, we're looking at this. One of the reasons I truly love it is because it is so researched, well-defined, you know, put together in such a, a accessible way that I'm going to kind of send a link we can have at the bottom of the, the page there, which is just a, in the interpersonal effectiveness skills. It's a really beautiful cluster out of her DBT workbooks. Um, I mean, all of this stuff is available online. So please know that I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, suggest that we take things that are not, um, you know, supporting, you know, the author themselves, but rather one of the reasons Linehan's work is so accessible is because we do want to have all of this information out there for people to use to improve their beautiful relationships so that they can have these healthy relationships so that they can start to apply these things and see if it works. It may work for some, it may not work for others. But as I said in the start, you know, that dialectical part of things is that when there's conflict, conflict is not a bad thing. It can be really healthy that you have some strategies, you have some tools, you have some resources that you can refer to and say, Okay, so even with our dear man, you know, or our give, you know, and there's another one that's fast, you know, like there's lots of different things in there that you can use just to help you navigate that because we want to ensure that we can improve that interpersonal effectiveness and thereby have our needs met and become happier, healthier, whole human beings. It's so worth it. So worth doing the work. It was a hard slog, but it I, I can attest it is so worth it to have healthy, amazing, deep, loving connections now as a, as an adult woman. I wish that I would have started it all sooner. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. So kind of going back to that, that part of like being as a woman who has grown up using and being aware of this sexual currency, who's recognized and seen how polarizing it can be, how we're expected to be one way over here in this very kind of prim, proper, you know, asexual or non-sexual space. And then over here in this very kind of like excitatory, you know, dynamic, sexualized, sensual person, it's really about trying to bring it together to say that both can coexist. It's about finding what is authentic to us, who we want to be sexually, and not allowing that to be all-encompassing as an all-powerful thing, because our sexuality is very powerful. Our womanhood, our manhood, our definition of ourselves, whether we are across the spectrum, is very powerful. And I don't want that to be something that you know gets lost in the don't do this, do this, but rather just creating that really dynamic space to say, how do we want to show up in the world? How can we use that to attract the people around us in healthy ways and emotionally, you know, developed ways 
while also having our needs met. What do we actually need? What do we actually want? How do we want to safeguard and use our sexual energy, our sexual selves in a way that promotes our best interests and has our needs met? And so listen, if you want that orgasm, please go and enjoy it, but you can also do it yourself. (laughs) I don't even know how to end this after that. (laughs) You are a registered sex therapist. So if anyone's going to talk about orgasms on this channel, it's you. (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, this is, I, I mean, you can imagine, I always need to bring the element of sexuality into all of our, I don't need to, I don't have to, but I enjoy doing so because I think it's such a unspoken piece of our interactions and especially our interpersonal interactions. And it's really about calling this stuff out, bringing this to the forefront and recognizing that, you know, as I said, it's one of the hallmark pieces that is often used to define borderline personality disorder. It's one of the hallmark pieces that's consistent across BPD and being connected to women. And that becomes so stigmatized to become such a negative thing. I really want to take that stigma out of it and saying, I want women to be sexual. I want all of our humans to be safely sexual. I want them to feel like they can express themselves and connect and know how to connect in different ways. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's always a pleasure to do one of these with you. And I'm sure we're going to see you again soon. I hope so. 